Welcome to Lab the Podcast. We share time with people whose lives and work are helping re-enchant a world flattened by the fiction that we are alone and in the center. I'm grateful you're here for the conversation and invite you to join us in pursuit of more life and beauty. Lab the Podcast starts right now. Hey, welcome to Lab the Podcast. Many of you know and love Andrew Peterson's work. Uh, he's an award-winning songwriter and author of the Wingfeather Saga, Wingfeather Tales, and a host of other familiar titles you may already have on your shelf. In 2008, Andrew founded a ministry called The Rabbit Room, which led to a yearly conference, countless concerts and symposiums, and to Rabbit Room Press, which has now published 30 books. Andrew and his wife, Jamie, live in Tennessee. They've been married for 26 years, have three grown children and two daughters-in-law. And Andrew is a genuinely enchanted person, if you know his work and his writing and his voice. But he also enjoys enchanted reality in a genuine way. When he's not creating stories and songs, you can find him keeping bees and building stone walls, cultivating gardens, or waxing poetically about footpaths, which is exactly where I found myself wandering in my imagination as I read Andrew's latest book, The God of the Garden. It's beautiful. It's personal, and I believe it's incredibly important to share in our moment. So, Andrew, congrats on the book. Thank you for sharing some time with all of us. Thank you so much. Yeah, those three words, beautiful, personal, and important, were the ones that I wrote down when I finished The God of the Garden. Uh, And it's beautiful, not just in the artwork, it's a beautiful book, but your words and your drawings, just the way that you write, invite us to breathe a little deeper and to read some, just more slowly, and to be carried along with you as you tell a really personal story. And I read a lot. Reading your book was a gift. And it was gentle, it was thoughtful, and it was rich. And so many of us are familiar with your beautiful fiction stories. This one is different. And I wondered if you could introduce us to the story of the God of the Garden and say a bit about your choice to include Wordsworth and also to share the intimate drawings that you tucked in just at the right places. This is a little bit of a different book for you. Yeah. Um, well, it started with uh, my first memoir, which was called Adorning the Dark. And it was about kind of a look at uh, what it means to be a Christian who is engaged in creative work. Um, kind of a story about how I uh, found myself um, serving the Lord in this way and, uh, and what it's like to be uh, an artist who's trying to find his way forward. And one of the chapters of that book was about my property here in Nashville. And, uh, my, what's funny about it to me is that my editor, after, uh, you know, I turned in the completed manuscript, he was like, you know, it's kind of weird that you, you've written a book about creativity, but you've left out one of the, the kind of, in some ways, one of the wellsprings of your creativity, which is this property that you've been trying to take care of for the last 10 or 15 years and your children and your family. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. I was writing about, songs and stories and all this other stuff. And I'd kind of, I had a blind spot. So I ended up writing this chapter about, uh, the cottage garden that I've been working on out in front of our house and, uh, and the story of how that came to be. And to my surprise, um, in the years since I published Adorning the Dark, that's probably the chapter that gets the most 
questions and comments. Like, uh, so for some reason it resonated with people. And then, uh, when 2020 hit and, uh, in March I was kind of booted off the road because I couldn't do shows anymore because of lockdown. I found myself at home with this like long runway of days. Um, and you know, as a traveling singer songwriter, like I, you know, I feel like it was probably three weeks into the, maybe four weeks into the lockdown in March. Um, and I turned to my wife and I was like, do you realize this is the most consecutive days that I've slept in my own bed in my adult life? And, uh, cause I've just been on the move so much because of my job. And, uh, and so I had this amazing opportunity to, uh, learn what it means to be rooted to a place and to, really see every day of the seasons come and go, um, for a solid year, um, from right here at home. And it was profoundly affecting to me. And, uh, and so the God of the garden ended up being in some ways an expansion of that chapter in adorning the dark. Um, and I started thinking, you know, uh, I agreed to write the book with the publisher before I had a clear sense of what the book was going to be. And, uh, and the more I thought about it, the more I, my mind kept, drifting to trees and uh and you know i've i've loved trees since i was a kid and uh over the last several years have taken up the practice in certain kind of seasons of the year uh, of of drawing them so i love to draw not not good enough to be a professional artist by any stretch but but i do love it and uh and it's like learning to draw a tree has been this really <laughs> um surprising uh, a discipline with a lot of surprising benefits, you know, like studying a tree for hours as you try to figure out how to put it on paper, uh, teaches you how to see it better and teaches you how they work and how they grow. And, uh, and so it changes the way that I walk through the woods around my house, you know, like I'm, I pay attention to the way the roots come into contact with the ground and, and, uh, the way certain branches break and, uh, and what that does to the shape of the tree. And all these things are expressions of the mind of God. You know, he's the one who invented them. And so, so in some sense, there's a kind of communion that happens the more I was able to learn to pay attention to his creation. And so, uh, anyway, I just, I remember talking to the writing group that I'm a part of, which is, um, you know, a group of authors here in Nashville. And we, we had gotten together to just, um, you know, have a drink and talk about what it was that we were working on. And, uh, and I found myself talking about trees more and more. And I was like, would it be weird to try to write a book about trees? And, uh, and so that coincided with, um, me hearing the, the Bible project, which is a ministry I, mm. I love. Um, they had a 10 episode podcast series on trees in the Bible. And, uh, and I was just riveted by it. It was so fascinating to, to realize that, trees play this really important role in the story that God is telling with creation, hmm. starting with, you know, the trees in the garden of Eden and the, the, the very clear um, correlation that God seems to be making between, between the ways way trees grow and bear fruit and are rooted to a place in the way that he tells us to be planted and to feed on his word and to bear fruit. And, uh, you know, the Bible project guys make the case that trees in the Bible are also people that, um, there's this metaphor that's playing out. And so I was just so interested in that. I thought I was going to write a book about, you know, a theology of trees. And then 
as I began to write, I realized that I'm not a theologian. <laughs> there are much smarter people than that, uh, than I am, uh, who could write that book. But I realized that in the same way that trees are a good framework to look at the story of scripture, um, at a meadow level, at a micro level, uh, I, I was, I was able to kind of go, oh yeah, trees are also a good framework to look at my own life and, uh, and the way that God has made his presence known to me, uh, in my own life. And so I started just writing down stories about trees. I remember, and next thing you know, there was a book. Hmm. When it is a beautiful book. Yeah. Have you read the hidden, the hidden life of trees? Have you read it? Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. It was, it was part of the research process. One of the really fun things about writing this book was it gave me an excuse to, to just go on a deep dive and read tons of books about trees and gardening and plants. And uh, yeah, that was one of them. And another, you asked about Wordsworth earlier. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm relatively new to poetry. Like um, I didn't have much time for it as a younger man. I just didn't, really get it and then probably in the last 15 years or so i've had this awakening to uh uh what poetry can do and and how what a beautiful thing it is in the world um and one of the one of the things that made me really fall in love with it was reading this book by malcolm geit who's a great poet mm -hmm. um contemporary poet and um he wrote a biography of samuel taylor coleridge um called mariner which I highly recommend. It's a really fascinating book. It's kind of a spiritual biography of Coleridge and his work. And uh, and Coleridge and Wordsworth were buddies, and you know they were writing at the end of the 1700s, beginning of the 1800s, and and they uh, they were Christians. Turns out, didn't know that. Um, you know, they kind of had a meandering path, but both of them um, landed with a pretty orthodox Christianity late in life, and. Uh, and a lot of their exploration in poetry was um, looking at uh, kind of a study of transcendence through creation. Mm. So they and saw it as a way to understand what it means to be human in some ways. And I'm not an expert at all, but that opened the door to me to really pay attention to Wordsworth's poetry and Coleridge's poetry. And, and when I was reading his ode to... Oh, I forget the name of it. It's the intimation, in, intimations of innocence or something. I, I, I'm. It's terrible. See, this is evidence that I'm not a <laughs> real poetry scholar. But this wonderful po poem that Wordsworth has, and I realized that most of the stanzas of the the his poem aligned with the chapters of the book. So um, it ended up being a good framework um, for the God of the Garden. Well, I think your instinct and intuition there towards uh, rootedness, you know, I, I can I pick that up along the story of just the movement and traveling singer-songwriter and then the, the tension of also a yes to deep rootedness and place and all that comes through the book. It's beautiful. I think trees are an important part of way back everybody's laughing that's listening because they know that i'm from oregon now living in florida and i had Ooh. some of that own disruption that you mentioned just going what is, i need to understand florida and it was the oaks <laughs> that did get me as well i i found Ooh. out like okay there's palm trees everywhere I'm not that interested in endless summer and palm trees but these oaks that grow with the arms like parallel to the ground it's it's remarkable i mean you can just yeah. sit there and they're fascinating trees so we could go 
on and on about trees. Uh, you've got one in the center of the cover, which also comes down really similar to over the over the Christmas holiday. We were looking at Da Vinci's Adoration of the Magi, and he placed a tree really to kind of right in the center of that work. And when I Oof. saw the cover of your book, there's just something really beautiful about the way the tree descends right into the center of your story. So well done. It's, it's beautiful. There's layers to it. So thank you. That's all Stephen Kratz, who's is just one of the best artists out there. He's an amazing. Uh, he he's done. He did the cover of the Godly Garden and the cover of Adoring the Dark, and the Resurrection Letters albums that I've put out. Like he has this deep uh, scriptural understanding um, and understands metaphor in a really great way. So he read he read the manuscript and and that was the first version of the cover that he proposed and he hit the nail on the head. It was just beautiful. Oh yeah. When having finished the book, the stone walls, it all it just makes sense. So, yeah. Well, it's also personal. Uh it's your story and there's that memoir part from the a chapter from the other memoir and you let us get really close to some of your moments of pain and passion that break through these moments uh in the closet there in Carolina just these amazing times where I had to put the book down and pause for a second. And there was a, I could feel at other moments an urgency in your voice, even when you talked about some of the development that you were seeing out your back window almost. And there was just that, that sense of pain and passion breaking through and urgency that was, I was like, wow, this is an important book and it's it's personal and it's it's flowing right out of you. It's not a, a surprise to hear that you didn't know where you were going to land as you started to write. Why was why was right now the moment to open up like that personally and to extend some of the invitations that you do? Well, uh, one of the uh, one of my favorite writers is a guy named Walter Wongren Jr. He actually died um, last summer. Um, a wonderful writer. He wrote the book of the Dun Cow and, and uh, uh, quite a few memoirs and uh, short stories. He, he was just a gift. He was a Christian. He was a pastor. And, and uh, in a lot of his memoirs, I'm thinking of one called uh, Ms. Lil and the Chronicles of Grace uh, is a great, great book. Um, and uh, in it, like he tends to cast himself as kind of the knucklehead in his own stories <laughs> uh, in a really endearing way. Like he tells these stories about mistakes that he's made as a pastor and how certain congregants have taught him lessons that he needed to know. Uh, and which is a, a beautiful reversal, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, I remember hearing him speak one time and somebody asked him about, you know, how do you know when it's right to share your story? Um, and he said, you have to wait long enough to be able to see, um, the ark come to his completion, um, hmm. the, the working of God in your, in your story so that he becomes the hero of your story instead of you. Hmm. And I, and I love that. I've heard people say before, like, beware of people who are the heroes of their own stories. Hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that there's a lot to that, that like, if you're telling your story in a way that makes you the hero, then you're telling it wrong if you're a Christian. Um, and so there have been quite a few moments in my life like that, that episode in North Carolina was one, um, the, the one in, uh, when I write about the garden of Gethsemane in Kentucky, mm -hmm. the monastery mm -hmm. was another that I, I had a sense not long after those things happened that one day I would write about them. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I never felt like I quite had permission to, you know? Um, and I wondered when it would be appropriate to, to write about it. And turns out it was when I, when I realized that all of those stories, uh, in one way or another were connected to, uh, either trees or gardening or, you know, the, the sermon that creation is preaching to us always about its creator. And, um, I, uh, I don't know. I've, I felt led to it. You know, I was a little bit embarrassed uh, and I, and I usually am, you know, and hmm. I've written songs about some of those things and, and have mentioned mm-hmm. those moments in songs, but it felt, it felt a little like it was another layer um, of vulnerability. Um, when I was being as explicit as I was about mm-hmm. what I was feeling. And, uh, and I just had to trust that there was enough distance between me and those stories that I was able to tell them more objectively and, uh, and could draw attention to the presence of God in my life. Um, uh, the gospel working itself out in me and those stories so that hopefully when, when people read the, read the book, they aren't left thinking, gosh, Andrew's so spiritual. Mm. <laughs> They're thinking less about me. And if they're thinking about me at all, it's about, gosh, that guy had some serious lessons to learn, mm. you know? <laughs> uh, and hopefully it, it, it draws attention to, to God and his, his goodness. Um, mm. so yeah, I was, ju- I was just talking to somebody the other day about depression and, uh, a friend of mine who is going through a season of that right now. And, and, you know, I hadn't seen him in a while and I was like, Hey, how are things going? And he was like, thanks for asking. Um, I don't really know if I'm still in it or not. And I told him, hmm. uh, it, it occurred to me when I was go, kind of going through this season of winnowing almost, uh, that I didn't know it was over until I heard myself talking about it in the past tense. Hmm. Um, I was telling somebody, Oh yeah, I, I went through a thing and I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I guess I'm not going through a thing anymore. Um, like subconsciously I, I thought of it as a, a season that had passed and that's how seasons work. Wow. You know, they, it, they sneak up on us and, uh, it's springtime in Nashville right now, and there's all the bulbs are in bloom, daffodils and hyacinths and stuff are all coming up. And in about a month, um, winter will be this distant memory. And uh, and it'll seem like spring was always there, but it just wasn't. You know, it, it sneaks up on us. And so I think that was kind of how I landed on it being time to tell those stories. Yeah, no, that's good. And yeah, everybody listening, go back and just listen to that last little bit too for you, for yourself, for us, but maybe for somebody else too that's in your story because there is that change of a season that just, we it can't be forced really. Uh, and I, I don't know if it can be forced. I think it's a, a road you travel. And one of the way, one of the reasons I love the book so much is you have referenced some of those moments in songs, but there was a way that we were really carried into those spaces, especially like the garden that you reference at the monastery. I, I literally felt like I was sitting there watching you as you encountered uh, everything that you encountered in that space. And it, it was good. And you reference, you know, winter's going to pass, spring is here, I can hear the birds in the background as you talk. And this idea that it, it's far enough away that you can write about it, but it's close enough that you can touch it. There's a there's a resonance there still, and that, that's something really special. So the timing was was wonderful. I was thinking, did you talk to Jamie and your kids uh, about uh, opening up some of those spaces? Were, were there ongoing conversations about the timing, or did you kind of just go away, start writing, and come back and say, I think this is it? 
Yeah, uh, it was more like that, but I did read them the chapters as I was writing them. So, uh it, one of the, one of the fun things about uh COVID for us and I I say that carefully because I know that COVID the the lockdown was a a terrible season for a whole lot of people genuinely and uh but for us it ended up being this little pocket it was like a snow day that lasted nine months or something <laughs> so uh our kids are all grown but uh one of them was in university and they closed the campus so he ended up coming back home and uh our daughter you know was home for long chunks of that so we had, we ended up having this like this kind of like bonus visit visit from our kids during that season and so they were around a lot during the writing of the book and uh and so yeah i i was and and you know the kids especially like they they knew they'd heard me talk about some of these things um but i don't think they'd ever i'd never written about them like i said as explicitly as i had so yeah they were the test audience for mm -hmm. this stuff and um and I think that's a crucial part of the book writing and songwriting process is you got, you got to play it for the people who know you mm -hmm. best and, and listen to them. Like if they're like, yeah, that's, that's a little too close to the bone, <laughs> yeah. you know, like the fear uh, is that you, you don't want to turn your audience into your counselor, mm -hmm. you know, like they, they, I've done that before and I've regretted it. Like mm. played a song that I just wrote that was about something that was really raw and you can feel the awkwardness, mm. you know, on the stage, like, Ooh, I think maybe that was too soon. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so they, they were very encouraging. It was, it was nice to have their thumbs up yeah. um, about what we were, the, the places we were going in the story. Well, and just cool to know your dad like that. I, I was thinking about that too, that sometimes that reflection and that opening up, that an invitation to come close into some of those spaces happens maybe if they do, if it does later in life, uh, much later or too late sometimes. And uh, that's just really cool. I think that's good. Well, you mentioned the the pandemic, and we're still in it, so we're not going to get out of it without referencing it. It's when that's the mm -hmm. context that the book was written. I say that it's beautiful, it's personal, and it's important. And I think many of us still grieving the loss of loved ones, uh, mm -hmm. and still feeling so much of the cost of the pandemic, and all of that, like on the heels of endless war on terror, war in Afghanistan, war in Syria, last year, civil war in Ethiopia, and now Ukraine. There's just this mm -hmm. exhaustion and disruption and, and in some way despair in some, some parts of us. And mm -hmm. that's the moment that you're writing this beautiful story, Shire-type story, the God of the Garden, and about being people and cultivating places. And as you say, this God who plants and prunes and intends to reap a harvest of righteousness. And there were times reading of England and Scotland and your vantage on Tennessee that I could hear this cynical voice circling around as I read, almost mocking the idea that dirt under the fingernails matters and that trees have any significance, you know, given the, the, the just the vastness of the storm clouds around us. And as I listened to those, I was like, yeah, I think that's the point. I think that this book right now, the reason I say it's important is that is the point. And you reference the geography of nowhere. You reference the death and life of great American cities, some really important books that I, I don't know if they're in our conversation as much as they should be. You bring it back 
and this the power of place. And I just wonder if you could talk a little bit with all that backdrop of context about your view about how putting our hands in the dirt, you even talk about the power under our fingernails of dirt and putting roots in places, how that actually may be the very way in which we have the power to endure the storms and, and penetrate through them. I just won't, I'll let you kind of go from that, but I found it really important that it's, it's the beauty of what you're writing about and calling us to and the rootedness of it, the actual non-abstracted nature of it. That's really important. So yeah, I'll just give you that. Oh man. Uh, yeah. I, where do I even begin? I, I am, Hmm. I'm thinking right now about, uh, do you know the book Every Moment Holy? Yeah. By Doug, Doug McKelvey. Um, he's got a, I've got it right here. And if I could find it really quick, I want to read you a couple lines from a liturgy for planting flowers. Yeah. And, uh, I, which I have, I've read, I'll get it out again. I'm actually looking at my book and there are smudges of dirt from years past where I've actually knelt in my garden and read this over, over the garden. But, um, he kind of gets into, uh, uh, the question that it opens with is in a world shadowed by cruelty, violence, and loss, is there good reason for planting flowers? Mm. And the answer is, ah, yes. For these bursts of color and beautiful blooms and bright dabs of grace, witnesses to a promise, reminders of a spreading beauty, more eternal, and therefore stronger than any evil, any grief, than any injustice or violence. And he kind of goes on from there. And it's just such a great reminder to me uh, that this stuff matters more. You know, it matters more when there's violence and war than, than when there's peace. Um, it, it's like the, the starkness of the contrast kind of reminds me uh, how crucial um, these things are. And so, yeah, man, I, I think um, I will tell you that there's, I, I feel a great grief, um, you know, in the chapter where I wrote about the developers that are eyeing our corner of Nashville, hmm. I just had a conversation with a neighbor about it this morning hmm. <laughs> and I was showing him this, this tract of land, 86 acres that hmm. I'm pretty sure, you know, they've started bulldozing a lot of the trees out of it already. And, uh, and I'm just heartbroken by it because I'm like, this, this is it, you know, it's like, this is our one chance to make this beautiful. If we don't mm -hmm. do it now, then the next hundred years, it's just going to be this thing mm -hmm. at least. Um, and then when I think of my parents and their garden in Florida and th their property and how they've labored to make this place beautiful, but they're almost 80 now and, and they don't know who's going to take it over when they finish. And it's like, what a, the sense of futility can be really depressing, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I just uh, finished a book called Real England by a guy named Paul Kingsnorth, who has since become a Christian. And in, in it, he's writing about just this, uh, the agony of watching England and the beauty of the English countryside and a village pub and, uh, you know, um, the, the, the beauty of the old churches there. And all, all of these things are just slowly just frittering away. They're, they're kind of just being lost. And so when I go to England, you know, there's part of me is just like reveling in the beauty of the English countryside. And, but mixed in with it is this terrible grief that this is passing away mm -hmm. and it's not going to be here forever. And it's because, uh, humans have a foundational spiritual problem. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> we are fallen and, and, uh, we just don't know how to take proper care of what's been 
entrusted to us yet. Um, and so part of what I'm hoping to stir up in people is this longing uh, for not just to take better care of what we've been given and to pay attention to, uh, like I said, the sermon that creation is always preaching about the resurrection and about what people are for and, and, uh, um, and the God that loves all of this stuff. But also, this, I, it, it, it increases my, uh, my um, determination to, to cling to the promise that there's a new creation coming. You know, um, like, we're not going to fix this. Mm. Uh, it's it's, it's kind of, it feels like it's too late. There's just going to be, uh, I, I, apart from like the intervention of, of Christ himself, I just don't see how humanity is going to correct what's gone wrong. And so I just have to take care of what I've been given and hope that other people will learn to do the same. And that these things, you know, everything we do in the name of Christ for the sake of his kingdom in some way, I believe carries over into the new creation. And, uh, and, that's the only context in which it makes sense to plant flowers. You know, <laughs> uh, the, these things that we're doing are, are telling a story about what we believe to be true about who Christ is and what the end game is, you know? Um, and so we can't change the world, but you can change your front yard. Mm. And so, uh, so I think that's what I'm getting at. Well, I think it's, I'm, I'm so glad that you, that you are, and I wish I had not just the, the $3 million or whatever to buy the dirt in Tennessee, but the, the, a big enough amplifier for this conversation and to provoke it, because I, I think you're on to it. Martin Luther said, yeah, even if I knew the world was going to fall to pieces tomorrow, I would plant my apple tree today, or plant an apple tree today. And there is something about participating in the new creation, just what you read from Every Moment Holy says, in the planting of these flowers, we do join the creator in his work of heralding this impending joy. And yeah, it's everybody who's listening, just hold on just for a second. What Andrew's writing about, what we're talking about right now, it it is the essential thing. And it, it don't for a second think that your front yard doesn't matter and that the mm. dirt under your fingernails, what's within your reach doesn't matter. Uh, listen to those words again. In the planting of these flowers, we do join the creator in his work of heralding this impending joy. That's why this book is so important. And so I want everybody go get the book. I want you to read it personally. It's I, I, I lean sometimes heavier on some than others. This one I'm, I'm, pretty much just being directive <laughs> saying go get get the book and get whether it's with a, a friend at a pub or in a conversation or a book club this is a conversation that we need to have because it's way beyond just um, the the beauty of stewardship there's something else that we're all groaning for that creation is groaning for that does matter even even standing at the brink of these conversations about nuclear war and all of these things and we can't be afraid and be ripped out of the the ground to the point where we we lose connection with what's real and andrew you've done a, a beautiful job putting us there you say gardening is fundamentally an act of hope and 
I, I underlined it, I circled it, and tell me a little bit about your garden up there, the one that you're actually, your front yard, the one that you're cultivating yeah. and how it's changed you as you've kind of put your feet in the dirt uh, in, in the tension of that, uh, being a traveling songwriter, spending so much of your life moving. How's it changed you now to kind of sink your feet into the dirt and really just stay there? Oh, man. Uh I could talk about this for days, I think, and I don't even know where to begin. You're catching me at a good time because it, uh, it's, it's sprinkling right now outside, but it's, uh, it's supposed, it's supposed to end in the next 30 minutes or so. And it's, it's warm. Like we had this freak snowstorm, like, uh, about a week ago. (laughs) And it was so weird to see all the daffodils peeking, you know, that are in bloom standing in five inches of snow. It's like, Mm. what is happening? Yeah, that's wild. It's crazy, but they survived it. You know, the snow is melted and the daffodils are still standing. And, and, uh, and this, this is my favorite time of year. And, um, part of the reason it's, it's my favorite time of year is that every day something new is happening. Like I, I, at some point, if I'm home, I go on a walk around the property and I don't let myself come in until I've seen some new sign of life. Hmm. Um, and it's always there. There's always something there. And, and the fact that this time of year coincides with our celebration of Lent and Easter, um, that, you know, we're, we're about to start our resurrection letters tour in a couple of weeks and where we 17 shows, we're going to go on the road and we're going to celebrate Christ conquering death and the promise of the resurrection. And to do that at a time of year when in the Northern hemisphere, everything is resurrecting. Mm-hmm. It's just, overwhelming to me like i can't get enough of it um and so yeah just right outside our our uh front door um a friend of ours gave us the gift of a 30-year garden plan Mm. and so uh it's the schematic of our property she was has an english gardener certificate and uh sent us this this you know uh tube we unpacked the tube and unrolled it there was this basically map of our house that showed all these swatches of color lists of all the kinds of flowers that we should buy and plant tell us where to plant them um you know like for example she has right outside my chapter house which is where i'm sitting right now um linton roses because she knows that i i (laughs) sometimes struggle with seasonal affective disorder you know and like i ache for spring so desperately and uh and it's one of the first flowers to come up in the in late winter, early spring. So right outside my door, there's these beautiful Linton roses that are in bloom right now. Um, and so, uh, I don't know, like I I have to walk through the garden to get to my office where I write. So every day I walk through something that is in process. Um, and, and then I walk back into my house and I can see hanging on the wall, the, the 30 year plan and I can see where we're going. So it's like, we're moving around inside my friend's imagination and in, in the already and the not yet, you know, of this garden that I'm working on. And I have this vision that has been cast for where, what it will be one day in its fruition. And man, the, the, the metaphor is so potent to Mm me Um, that that's the same thing that like Jesus has cast this vision for us, right. In the new Testament, he has said, now go like he's the reigning King of creation. He is, he is resurrected. We have the promise that we will be resurrected too. And uh, we get to tell that story and we get to tell it explicitly, verbally. We get to tell it in the songs that we write and the sermons that we preach and in the gardens that we, we tend. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this real sense, you know, when I'm on a really good day, when I've, you know, my hands are dirty and my back is aching because I've been digging, planting trees, whatever, that, that this is 
in a literal sense what I was made for. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you know, like we were made to be cultivators. We were made to take care of this world that God so loves. And uh and we were made to to in participate in the um in the invocation of beauty that that will outlast us, you know? Like the stuff that I'm doing is all stuff that like because I'm living in a body that is gonna die one day i'm not gonna live to see this thing come to its fruition hmm. um uh and and then then i start thinking about time and how in the new creation in a body that will last forever um i'm time will no longer be an adversary it'll be a friend hmm. and and i'll be able to plant a white oak in my front yard and i'll be around in 600 years to see it in its glory you know uh and i just when i talk about it i actually feel like a physical Mm -hmm. resonance you know i can feel my body kind of going yes mm -hmm. yes yes like that's what that's what we were made for and and the other thing i would say is just that it's such a fuller uh understanding of the gospel itself than i had when i was a younger man mm -hmm. um when uh heaven was this vague thing that didn't really make sense to me didn't really appeal to me that much apart from the fact that christ was there um and, you know, I'm thankful that he saved me. I knew that he resurrected. I've got this, you know, um, hazy sense of, of what would happen to me after I die. But man, to, to read Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright and to realize that there is this real, real groundedness to the hope of the gospel, um, that it is more than just, uh, oh, yay, Jesus has saved me. Like, there's also the, the answer to the question, why? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer to the question, why, we get hints of now. Mm -hmm. And it is to live in community uh, under the lordship of a good king, you know, who, who is embodied, who cares for this place. And we get to live in community and feast and grow things and celebrate together. Like all of those things we get hints of now, um, uh, hints of the, the wedding supper of the lamb. So, so we might as just, we might as well get busy. You know, <laughs> um, we, we don't wait. Um, it's like in Jeremiah um, when, um, God told Jeremiah, tell the exiles to plant gardens, you know, mm -hmm. live in the city of their exile and, uh, and care about the city that you've been. It may not be your ultimate home, but that doesn't mean you don't, you don't plant flowers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's so good. This, I love the conversation and thank you for taking us on that little walk uh, to your writing cottage through your garden. Uh, I, I started the conversation saying Andrew's an enchanted person enjoying enchanted reality and what he just described. I think everybody felt that that kind of relief when he talked about being there 600 years to see that white oak grow. And that is reality. As much as it's been covered up, as much as we've been distracted or discouraged or looking for it in other places, it is there. And there is a, there's a beauty to that. And so I, my hope and my prayer is that this would be a, a great way in for all of us to just start thinking more deeply uh, and being more present with that enchanted reality. And so, Andrew, thank you. The God of the garden is beautiful. Uh, thanks for inviting us so close personally. And it's an important book, and you've done it really, really well at the right time. So we're deeply grateful. And I just, I'm celebrating it. We're all celebrating it. Thank you for what you've given. Oh, thank you so much. That's very encouraging. Yeah. 
All right, we'll keep it up. Don't grow weary and keep gardening. And even if the snows blow in uh, occasionally, just keep keep leaning forward. And I can't wait for more conversation down the road. We have to talk hey. about footpaths. I can't even believe I'm getting out of here without talking oh. about footpaths. That was the, there was a point where you said it's going to take us years to learn to trust and be trusted. So we'll leave it there and pick it up next time. Sounds great. All right, thanks. Thanks for joining us for the conversation. We're so grateful to share this time with you. And even more than that, we're grateful you're a part of this growing movement of life and beauty. Until our next conversation, make sure you like, subscribe, follow the podcast, follow us on Instagram, check out VUVIVO.com to learn more about our work. And we'll see you back here for Lab the Podcast next time.